Eagles Entertainment. With the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we have got a wild rivalry weekend in college football. That's quite the tongue twister, by the way. Uh, A wild rivalry weekend in college football. Before we get there, though... We got uh, Scott Stories with Eagles Director of Player Personnel, Ian Cunningham. He's going to stop by to talk about the defensive tackle position, what he looks for in projecting those guys from college to the NFL. It's a really interesting conversation. We're going to get to it right at the top of the show. After that, we're going to get to Saturday Scouting, where we've got our weekly takeaways, myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler returns to the show. We're going to hit on. We've also got plenty to hit on from a Senior Bowl uh, acceptance news. We've got uh, Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC. What does that mean for the NFL draft? Big quarterback news here in recent days. So we're going to get on all of that uh, there in Saturday scouting. After that, the return of On the Clock. C-Mac returns to the show to help us debate who is the best draft-eligible red zone weapon. We will get to that uh, later in the program as well. We've got uh, a QB question in our draft mailbag from one of you at home. We will get to that as well. Before we start the show, as always, my quick reminder, make sure you're subscribed wherever podcasts can be found. You can get this show sent to your podcast device twice weekly from now all the way up through the NFL Draft. So make sure you are getting ready for the 2022 NFL Draft by just hitting that subscribe button wherever you find your podcast. And also, really appreciate everybody that's gone the extra mile and left us a review, left us a a comment or a question. It helps us because it boosts us up the the rankings when other people are looking for NFL Draft podcasts. And also, hopefully, we can help you. So if you've got a question, a mock draft you want us to break down, rankings you want us to rip apart, whatever it is, uh, we will be happy to do it if you go leave it over on our Apple Podcast page. That said, uh, let's get this show started. I'm excited to catch up, as always, with Ian Cunningham, the Eagles Director of Player Personnel. We're going to do that now in Scout Stories. Pull up a seat. It's time for Scout Stories. All right, let's get going here with Scott Stories as I welcome in Ian Cunningham, the Eagles Director of Player Personnel, to talk about defensive tackles today. Ian, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Fran. So let's talk about D-tackle, a position that I feel the importance, the priority on that has kind of changed a little bit over the last half decade to, you know, it's five, 10 years where a lot of people are saying, yeah, like you, you want that guy uh, to be a force. You want that interior disruptor. Uh, when you look at those players at that position, what is it that makes them so tough to be able to project and to evaluate moving from college to the NFL? I think it's what they're asked to do in college, Fran. I mean, I think you have you have so many different defenses in college now, um, whether it be the three, four, four, three, 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 five stack, you know, whatever they're they're asked to do. And a lot of these guys are asked to do different things, um, especially uh, interior. Uh, defensive linemen. So um, you're really just for us, you're looking for traits um, that translate. Uh, I think back in the day, you know, coming from a three, four, a traditional three, four in Baltimore, you were looking for those interior, big, strong two gappers uh, playing at Virginia without grow the same yep. similar scheme with the three forge, big, strong two gappers. So I was familiar with those, with those types of uh, body types and, and traits, but I think moving here and then as the as the uh, game has has progressed you're looking at least you're looking for some pass rush you're looking for some you know stack and shed um you're looking for guys that are versatile that are able to do a lot of different things so i think that's a lot of why it's been a little bit more difficult um but at the same time it's it's fun the challenge is fun because you're trying to find traits that translate 
And I feel like, you know, a great person to point to with that, you know, Ed Oliver was a 288 pound right. uh, defensive tackle coming from a group of five school that goes in the top 10, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have said uh, that that was going to be possible. And I think the other interesting part of that too, so many of these guys were former DNs that are making that transition uh, inside. What are you looking for when you have that guy that maybe spent the majority of his career out in the edge that now he can come in and make that transition full-time in the next level? Really, the first thing you, you you think of is, all right, can he hold up, right? Because you feel like the edge rushers, uh, their their thing is the speed, uh, speed to power outside. They have a little bit more space to operate, a little bit more wiggle. They can do more things. So when you, when you reduce down inside, you got bodies on you, right? And you're not going to be able to do the, the wiggle or the shake that, that you tend to see outside. So you want to see if guys can kind of stack, hold their ground, anchor versus the run, um, awareness instincts to be able to see see the ball are they able to drop their weight and what we like to say uncoil on offensive linemen they can snap their hips and and reset the line of scrimmage uh so you want to see all those those types of traits that they translate inside and and as well as you want to see if that that pass rush translates inside i think you you know fran it's a little bit different of a of a rush inside as it is outside so those are the things that we kind of I look for uh, with those with those types of players that transition inside. And that's why I wanted to ask you, just because of the Eagles in this past draft, obviously with Milton Williams, uh, a guy right. that made that transition late in his career down at La Tech. Uh, what's the best piece of advice uh, that you feel like you've got if you reflect back in your career uh, when it comes to evaluating and projecting these guys uh, when it comes to the defensive tackle spot? Yeah, I think for for me, and I think for uh, a lot of us, what we at least what we like to tell our, our our young scouts is just watch the we have we're so fortunate in Philadelphia to have so many good defensive linemen. Yeah. So you just don't watch them um, on game days. Watch them every single day. Watch them in the weight room. Watch them uh, on the practice field. And then when you become a area scout or go out to colleges, see if you pick up on some of the same types of qualities that those players that we have in our locker room if they possess those same type of qualities at those colleges. So um, that's what I, I was fortunate enough to, to have that in Baltimore as well. Um, I think you look for, for um, strength, you look for suddenness, you look for what we like to say, quick twitch, um, balance, body control, and relentless effort. Guys that just run to the ball. You may not be able to make every single play, but you just want to see guys that are passionate, run to the ball, um, and they, they play with their hair on fire. Those guys that that love the game. Those are the types of things that we we try to look for. And that relentless play style often re- can result in extra production as well. So many sacks no uh, end up, you know, because of that motor and that relentless. Especially play. inside, right? Yeah, right. no, no right. doubt. Um, you know, so when you're looking at uh, that position as well, you know, we've talked about just kind of the, the evolution of the position itself. Has the has your process in evaluating that position? Has that evolved as well? Have you looked at different things that maybe you prioritize now that you didn't before early in your career? Yeah, uh, I think a little bit kind of what I was alluding to, just having the, the those three, four, those big, strong yeah. two gappers. Um, but I think for me, it's just they come in all shapes and sizes. So uh, you, you made reference to Ed Oliver, you know, years ago before Aaron Donald, you know, it'd be hard for anybody to, to really sign off on that, to put him in the first round, uh, regardless of of their ability. Right. But those guys are playing now and we're starting to see more undersized defensive linemen play because they're understanding the leverage game. They're using their quickness. I think uh, schemes are helping them. 
be more productive as well. Uh, their pairings are helping them be more productive as well, aligning uh, them with a bigger defensive tackle next to them. So a lot of those different things, um, I think with every position, you're just looking for for uh, traits. You're looking for splash plays. You're looking for consistency. You're looking for um, those players that just have that love for the game um, and that they want to just play, play it out for their brothers on the field. So those are the things that we kind of look for. Well, Ian, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for shedding some light here on the defensive tackle spot and scout stories. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Fran. So great stuff there from Ian. And I loved what he said uh, about defensive tackles where you don't necessarily, and I think you, people don't necessarily think about that. You, you look at a defensive tackle and say, oh, well, how much are they really asked to do? You know, are they, they line up, they're just trying to get after the ball, get after the football, stop the run, rush the quarterback. There's not a lot of scheme diversity, but uh, he kind of dove into all the different things that tackles are asked to do depending on the scheme they play, especially at the college level. You get a lot more diversity with the fronts. You see a lot more 3-3 stack in college. You'll see obviously the different odd fronts and the de- and the even fronts, but uh, what he, would, what he uh, said about how defensive tackles are asked to do different things, I thought that was really interesting. Loved what he talked about uh, the transition for defensive ends moving to D-tackle in the NFL. What are some of the traits you look for with guys making that position switch? Um, I also loved what he said. I've heard uh, guys like Daniel Jeremiah talk about this um, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, as a pro scout or as a college scout, when you're looking at how to kind of set the blueprint for what you look for at a specific position, if you have some of those guys that set the standard in your own building, well, use those guys at the blueprint. The Eagles have always had a really good defensive line. So uh, to be able to have Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and some of the, the so the best at their position right here uh, in the building. I, I know Daniel Jeremiah has talked about that when he was at Baltimore having Jonathan Ogden and then he comes to the Eagles and uh, you have Jason Peters to have those kinds of guys to kind of say like, okay, that's what the best of the best looks like. Uh, I thought that was really interesting for Ian to talk about that uh, from a defensive tackle standpoint. And then uh, also just the importance of motor and effort and how that relates to production and the, the change in his evolution of the process, uh, accepting smaller defensive linemen because of what Aaron Donald did and how uh, Aaron Donald, him getting drafted so high and having that level of success, how that opens the door for a guy like Ed Oliver uh, to come in and be a top 10 pick out of a group of five school despite being a sub 290 defensive tackle. I think it was really interesting as well. So great stuff as always from Ian Cunningham. Always great to have him here on the show. Uh, That said, let's get into this week here in college football where not only do we have some wild upsets, some huge games, some uh, huge college football playoff implications here with what happened on the field, but we've got Lincoln Riley news going to USC. We've got senior bowl acceptances. We're going to get into it all right here in Saturday Scouting. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warmups brought to you live each week when you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta. We provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, well, like I said, we've got a lot to get to here in Saturday Scouting as I welcome in Ben Fennell and Dane Brugler uh, back to the show for Saturday Scouting. And guys, uh, a lot to get to. Dane, great to have you back uh, here on the show. Let's start things off with the Senior Bowl acceptances. And uh, a lot of names here over these last few days, none bigger than what we saw at the quarterback position on Sunday, the Senior Bowl making it official, Liberty quarterback Malik Willis, Cincinnati quarterback Desmond Ritter, both heading down to Mobile. This is just big because uh, for all evaluators trying to get eyes 
on these guys. This is another huge opportunity for Ritter and for Willis, and we'll see what other quarterbacks end up down there to be able to set themselves apart. Uh, Dane, your reaction to uh, Willis and Ritter heading down to the Senior Bowl? Well, yeah, and we we knew they were probably going to be headed there. Uh, if they received the invite, they did. Um, hopefully, they stay true. You know, we've seen quarterbacks in the past uh, bail out, but both these players need the Senior Bowl. Um, neither of them are locked first round picks, so they could really channel a week of senior bowl practices and turn that into uh maybe moving up a little bit for some in, on some teams boards uh for Ritter it's all about being more consistently accurate we know that he's an, an athlete we know he can sling it uh you know for a guy that size he, he moves well it's just can he be consistent with his ball placement down the field and you know that can be tough at times when you're dealing with all new receivers and uh you know the just the setting of uh senior bowl practices but that'll be big for him. And then for Malik Willis, uh, it's just, you know, he comes from a very defined passing game at Liberty. Um, it's just going to be all about going through reads and a lot of stuff behind the scenes with him, uh, with, with NFL coaching. So excited to see both those guys at Mobile. Yeah, I am excited to see both uh, and how they handle on the field. And Ben, the other big thing too, being able to work with NFL coaching for the first time, right? And I think that'll be big for, we and we don't know at this point who's going to be coaching down there at the Senior Bowl, but a good opportunity for both of these guys to, uh, you know, work with some NFL coaching for the first time. And see, yeah, they're going to be basic level concepts and terminology, but being able to yeah. work with that, I think will be big for those guys. Yeah, and those two are going to be joining uh, Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky, who's having an incredible statistical season as well. So there's only three quarterbacks with accepted invites so far. Really Can interesting to see. Yeah, of Kenny Pickett as well. That's a good, a good point. Yep. Really interested to see how Jim Nagy fills out the rest of the roster because the senior quarterback landscape maybe isn't the sexiest or the deepest. Want to see which of those juniors, redshirt juniors, maybe have that degree in their back pocket, thus making them eligible for the all-star games. You know, some I might have my eye on in the senior circuit, like a Brock Purdy or a Phil Jurevic, uh, Boston College, guys like that. Really interested to see how Nagy uh, finalizes his rosters. Well, and two, two names to keep an eye on, uh, Carson Strong uh, yep. from Nevada, and then Sam Howell. Sam Howell, uh, yep. he, He's a guy that's supposed to be a, a graduate, and he could be one of those guys that maybe gets an invite. So uh, two, two names to definitely keep an eye on here over the next month. And that's the thing. We're talking about some of the guys that are being talked about. The only one that's outside that is Matt Corral, right? I don't think he's he would be a guy that people are talking about getting that degree by December. So uh, very interesting for opportunity for all of these guys to be able to help themselves uh, throughout this process. But uh, these quarterbacks, not the only ones to be announced for the senior ball. A bunch of other names here just in the last few days. Ben, since you and I last recorded last week's episode uh, before Thanksgiving. So let's just kind of buzz through. We'll kind of go speed round here on some of the names announced by the senior bowl. And we'll start here uh, with Cincinnati wide receiver, Alec Pierce, who is a, a big target. He has been a big play target as well for Cincinnati. He's got the ability to impact downfield converted linebacker early in his career, uh, who has found the wide receiver position. He is a good blocker. He's like I said, I meant, I mentioned he can uh, impact the ball down the field, but also down in the red zone an effective weapon. So Alec Pierce, has that ability to be a three-level threat and also a, a little bit of a dirty work player as well in the middle of the field. Uh, interesting player heading down to Mobile. I'm a big Alec Pierce fan. He might be a top 10 receiver uh, overall, uh, overall the receivers, juniors included. When it's all said and done, he has that type of talent. Love his background, former volleyball player, uh, goes out for track his senior year of high school and helps set uh, some school records. Uh, comes from a family of athletes. Both of his brothers play collegiate basketball. His older brother played at North Carolina for Roy Williams. 
so just there's a lot going on with Alec Pierce athletically, and we've seen him really blossom on the field this year. So good to see him get the invite. He's a really talented player. Uh, continuing down our list here, Jeremiah Hall from Oklahoma, fullback, more of a uh, receiving H-back than a true fullback or a traditional tight end. He was Mr. Reliable for that offense, doesn't drop the football, gives you a little bit after the catch, but there's a lot of dump-offs in that offense, and so it's going to be great to see him run maybe a few more routes uh, during senior bowl practices. Yeah, really excited to see him in combination with uh, Connor Hayward down there. Kind of unique bodies. They aren't true tight ends. They really aren't true fullbacks. More wingback, H-backs that can do a little bit more with the ball in their hands, but at the expense of real true lead blocking, really creative players. But it was great to see Ohio State Buckeye join the uh, Senior Bowl accept- acceptances late last week and tight end Jeremy Rucker, who I think is the best blocking tight end in the class, has really good size at that wide tight end. Just remember, the tight end's not featured in Ryan Day's offense. He was a high recruit, number two tight end in the class, ahead of guys like Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth. He's just really not featured in the pass game. And I know he had a couple of nice catches down the stretch last year on their way to the national championship game. Um, but he only had 13 catches on the season, five touchdowns, a lot of nice catches in the red zone. He may be that style of tight end at the next level, but everybody wants a guy that's 255, 260, that can put their hand in the turf and block defensive ends in the run game. That's what Jeremy Ruckert's going to do. So I think he's going to be the best blocker down there in Mobile at the tight end group. And I'm really interested to see what type of draft capital somebody's willing to spend on. I love Jeremy Ruckert. He's so much fun to watch on tape because of what he does uh, in the run game. I would say the same thing for uh, Daniel Falalele, the mm-hmm. offensive tackle from Minnesota, staying in the Big Ten. Uh, right tackle by trade, but this is a guy who's very similar to Jordan Mailata in terms of coming from uh, from Australia, coming up to America, never played football before in his life, ends up going the college route, goes to Minnesota, uh, and starts right away as a true freshman on the right side. And yeah, like was it always pretty? No. But this guy at 6'8", 400 pounds, he's got freakish athleticism. He's just tough to get around. You're not running through him. He's tough to run by. So even when things are not great technically, he's just so, so strong, so powerful, so light on his feet. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch down there in person, uh, down there in Mobile. So Daniel Falalele uh, on the right side, going to be a lot of fun uh, down there at the Senior Bowl. I can't wait to see him in those one-on-ones. That's going to be fascinating to see how he uses all this talent that he has to stop some of these, you know, quick twitch rushers uh, in the one-on-one setting. So that'll be a lot of fun and really, really interesting to see how he holds up. Uh, Sticking with offensive lineman, Marquise Hayes, uh, guard from Oklahoma, three-year starter uh, at left guard for the Sooners. Thought he was a little up and down as a run blocker, but uh, defenders were not getting past him in pass protection. Uh, or as pass rushers, it felt like he had maybe at least one penalty in every tape I watched. So there are things he needs to clean up. Uh, if he wants to be a, a cement himself as a draft pick, I, I think a solid week uh, at the Senior Bowl is going to be important for him. Yeah, and uh, finishing up here on the offensive line, UTSA's darling season, unfortunately, took their first blemish last week. They were undefeated uh, up until the North Texas game. But I'm glad that Jim Nagy extended an invite to their left tackle, Spencer Burford who's been a four-year starter at left guard, left tackle, blocking for Sincere McCormick, who has all sorts of production and silly explosive runs. He was a four-star recruit, highly touted out of high school. In fact, the first ever four-star to land at UTSA. Remember, it's a fairly new program. I think they're only in about year eight or nine, maybe just pushing 10, but really interesting player that's experienced. 6'5", just about 300 pounds, but he's got a good-looking body, good-looking lower half. You can see the bubble, really good on a track, has square, smooth pass sets. He's one of these guys that's checking a lot of boxes in that group of five play. 
You just want to see him against some better competition and really see if there's something special there. But he's a guy that's really well built and a pretty good zone blocker out there for UTSA. Yeah, and he'll obviously get that opportunity to see some high-level competition down at the senior bowl as we transition to the defensive side. And the one pass rusher on the on the uh, on the edge that has been announced in the last few days, Cincinnati's Maje Sanders, who uh, is really good off the ball. I, I think when you look at his ability uh, to jump the snap, beat the tackle, get the edge, and turn the corner, I think that's where Sanders really really thrives. So he will look good uh, in some of these one-on-one drills. I think that's where he's really going to shine. I'd like to see him get a little bit better holding up against the run, his consistency at the point of attack. I'd like to see him improve a little bit, uh, but this is a guy that can get after the quarterback. He's had a lot of big seasons there uh, for Luke Fickle's defense. He had a huge game against Notre Dame and that big win against the Irish this year. So I think when you look at Majay Sanders, one of the more intriguing defensive linemen, certainly already announced by the senior bowl. You know, I love watching guys in one-on-ones get opportunities down at the all-star game that have the good first step that are really good at timing the snap. Because in the one-on-ones, you're not beating guys just off the ball. You have to be a little more technical. You have to have a pass rush plan. You have to be efficient with your hands and your movements. So I want to see if he has a little bit more technique and more of a pass rush plan with counter moves. We know he can jump the snap. We know he has a good first step. We know he can slash inside on games and twists and shooting gaps into the B gap. But I want to see if he's a little better with his hands in a vacuum. And one of the more important numbers from the week will be MyJ Sanders, uh, his weight. Uh, scouts had him at 224 oh, yeah. uh, in the spring. And so what's his playing weight? What's his ideal weight? Uh, you know, so if he shows up to Mobile at 255, all of a sudden, that that means something. That That's something that could really help him as opposed to 230. So that'll be something to watch for. Uh, Perrion Winfrey, defensive tackle from Oklahoma, also received his invite. Uh, you know, he's a little tough because you watch the highlights and you see a disruptive player. Uh, he can live on the other side of that line of scrimmage due to his quickness, his heavy hands. But the full body of work just was not as impressive. He's high cut, doesn't really have that lower body flexibility to win in short spaces. More of a one-gap penetrator than an every-down brawler uh, at the NFL level. So Winfrey's another one of those guys that in the one-on-ones, that quickness, that ability to win off the snap, uh, you know, he can do that. But does he have a little bit more to him to be a more versatile player? You know, I feel like there's guys in college football like that every year that you just want a little bit more out of. You know, you just expect a little bit more. They flash a lot of ability. I feel like there was somebody that came out of Florida a few years ago. I was trying to find really fast. I had a similar type of profile. But uh, anyways, moving down the list here. Have you guys done Darian Beavers, this hybrid linebacker from the Cincinnati Bearcats? Looks like a defensive end. I have not done him yet. He is a really fun player, guys. He's about 6'4", 255, three-year starter at this off-ball Will linebacker sniper hybrid position that they have out there that Marcus Freeman had brought to the defense. He's now the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, but he's the one that kind of instilled this position in the scheme. But Darian Beavers, he's added about 100 pounds since high school. Go look at the photo on Twitter of his transition. It's hilarious. He's a skinny kid and this jacked guy in the right picture, but he's a sub-rusher on third downs over 700 special team snaps, really athletic. He's thick, he's tough, he's versatile, can play all over the place, was a UConn transfer, was a high school receiver, safety. He's got a little bit more size and length than Derek Barnes coming out of Purdue last year. But we're talking that style of hybrid player, maybe like a Koamisi, who is an oversized off-ball linebacker at like 255, or maybe a Josh Perry at Ohio State a few years ago. It's these massive off-ball backers where if it was, 15, 20 years ago, we might be talking a first round pick, 
But right now, obviously, the base defenses are kind of a dying breed in the NFL. Darian Beavers needs to find a positional home. Don't get caught in no man's land being a hybrid player. Let's see if he could play off ball at the next level. If not, get down on the edge as an outside linebacker, set some edges, and get after the passer. You like him more or less than Jesse Lucetta, who has a similar kind of profile and project, uh, you know, position projection. Yeah, I think the positional versatility and usage is all over the place. I want to, you know, kind of streamline a base usage for these guys, let them be sub rushers. But at the end of the day, athletic special teams can hunt and chase from the backside. Just want to see, do you have the size? Lucetta, I want to see if he has the size and strength to hold up at edge. Beavers is the other way. I want to see if he's got the speed and the play quickness to kind of play off ball. And if you can't do that, then go to the more traditional home for, for both those guys. Interesting. Well, uh, let's get to a more traditional linebacker here. And Jeremiah Gemmel, 6'1", 225, three-year starter for North Carolina. And what I really like about Jeremiah Gemmel, number one, his play recognition skills are really, really strong. Uh, he, you can see that he's, he sees things very, very fast. And number two, his athleticism is pretty good, guys. I mean, he can, he can get where he needs to be. He's got better-than-average burst. Uh, his lateral quickness is really good. He's got some top-end speed, some range. He can make plays outside the numbers. The area where I'd like to see him get a little bit better is that he's just not great through contact right now. 225, he can get stuck on blocks a little bit longer than you'd like to see. He can fall off contact as a tackler. If he can just continue to add weight, get a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, I think you're looking at a three-down player because he's got the athletic traits you're looking for. The instincts are there. I love his willingness to come downhill and thump. He's not soft on contact. I just need him to get a little bit better playing through that contact. But uh, Jeremiah Gemmel, I, I watched him over the weekend, and I was impressed. I, I thought that he had a three-down skill set moving forward into the NFL. Next up, we have Tariq Wooland from uh, UTSA, the second uh, roadrunner here uh, to receive an invite. Uh, th this kid is all traits. Uh, six three corner. He's a former wide receiver. Doesn't allow his long arms go to waste. Rakes at the catch point to erase catches. Uh, outstanding speed. He'll probably run in the high four threes, low four four range. He's just still very raw. You know his transition skills need work. I question is just his natural feel for the position and his tackling is an issue. So he needs to get better in those areas. But if you're looking for a developmental corner with length and speed. Woolen is your guy, and I, I think that during the week of practices, he has a chance to really help himself. Move over to some more interesting defensive backs that are kind of height, weight, speed, tra uh, traits guy. How about Jalen Watson out of Washington State, Juco transfer, 6'3", long limbs, just dripping with length and athleticism, but good size as well. He's about 205, so he's kind of a thick body. He reminds me of like a little bit of a thicker version of the Brian Mills kid. That headed down to Mobile yeah. last year out of NC Central. Definitely a tra trait-based player that you kind of want to poke and prod and see if they have to transition to safety or if they can play press man. Uh, really want to get a close-up look at a player like this. Yeah, I, I think when you look at Jalen Watson compared to like a three Castro Fields, Castro Fields is smaller. He's got uh, the, the traits aren't quite as th there as they would be with Watson. But Castro Fields is a better football player right now. I think when you look at his ability uh, to read routes from man, read routes from uh, playing from zone, uh, he's a pretty good tackler. Watson's got to clean things up as a tackler. I think you look at Castro Fields, he's got some inside-outside versatility. Uh, maybe not one A trait, but I think that the, the traits across the board are pretty good, and he's a pretty consistent player um, from that standpoint. So I really like what I've seen in the past from three Castro Fields. He, of course, was uh, invited to last year's Senior Bowl, and then decided to go back for the extra year of eligibility uh, with that senior-laden Penn State defense. I kind of wonder if, uh, because Jim invited three Castro Fields last year, he felt like he had to do it this year. Because honestly, I asked Ben the same thing last week. Yeah, 
I, I was I was unimpressed with Castro Fields this year, senior tape. I, I think there there's there's talent there, but I, I don't know. I just I, I expected more out of him. I think there was there's some corners that maybe deserve it over him. But hey, this is his chance to go to the senior bowl and and and, and prove me wrong and play better than maybe he did during his senior year. Uh staying with corner, Alante Taylor from Tennessee uh also got his invite. Really physical player, especially in man coverage. He's six foot one ninety. I've talked to some scouts who think he'd make a better safety. So I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that we're gonna see Taylor take some snaps at safety during the week of practice because there's a, there, there's some scouts that think that's his best long term position. Oh, well, Fran, I remember some of the clips you put up. I think over the summer of Alante Taylor, he's really competitive. Uh, no nonsense, yeah. physical sob type yeah. out there that I think would be more than uh, okay to translate to safety or. Honestly, he seems like a guy that will just play wherever you want him to play. He's got that type of mindset. But one of my favorite corners in the class, guys, again, with this popular Cincinnati Bearcats team, Nagy grabbing a whole bunch of them, Kobe Bryant, cornerback. And that's C-O-B-Y, Kobe Bryant, thick, physical corner out there. Guys, 3,000 snaps in his career, another 400-plus on special teams, playing opposite of the long, oozing, uh, explosive Ahmad Gardner. This guy is so experienced. 10 interceptions, 37 PBUs in his career, has been targeted over 260 times in his career, allowing less than 60% completions, I think right around 55%, which is a quality number. But this is a learn-on-the-job position at cornerback. And Kobe Bryant is showing up with his lunch pail full of experience. I think this guy is NFL ready today, ready to play any scheme, zone, man. You want to slide him in the nickel. You want to move him to safety. Another guy that I think can play all over the defense. Really, really good player. Ben, I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the yep. better What's the better value, Gardner in the first or Bryant in the third? That's a really good question. I got to go with a Kobe Bryant. If I could get a corner like that in the third round, I think I'm, I'm more than okay with a guy that's shown the ball skills, shown the experience, shown some positional versatility, shown some scheme versatility. Not to say Amon Gardner isn't anything, but just weighing to feel like I can get a starting caliber player in the third round. Ask any GM in the NFL. If you find a starter in the third round, they're almost going to run to the podium and say, I don't care what name, give me a starter in the third round. I think first round, we're expecting him to be a starter and a playmaker. Give me a Kobe Bryant in the third round. Yeah, I think I'd probably agree with you. And it, to stick with that Cincinnati secondary, Brian Cook also accepted his invite. Uh, one of my favorite mid-round guys this year, one of the best tacklers that I've studied uh, this cycle, diagnosis quickly, comes to balance on the move. Gets low to finish. He reads well from depth. Uh, he out leverages blocks in space. Uh, the coverage is going to be key during senior bowl practices. You know, can he hold up in man? Can he see things develop and make plays in the ball? That, that's really what I'll be focusing on with Cook because I think he's a, he's a pretty good player. And really quick, just uh, to round out my point on Perry and Winfrey as I was having a brain fart, I reminded myself a little bit of like a Kawan short at a Purdue and that he would flash and the play would kind of come on and off. But Caleb Brantley at Florida about five, six years ago, would flash some amazing mm -hmm. play, and then he'd leave you kind of wanting more. I think Perry and Winfrey is the same thing. Could be a better pro like Kawan Short has been since his time at Purdue, or could be a Caleb Brantley where those flashes few and far between are for a reason and really not an NFL caliber player. Well, I, I am really glad that you brought it back to Oklahoma because before we got into our game balls and our big takeaways from the weekend, I did want to kind of touch on the Lincoln-Riley news of him leaving Oklahoma 
going out West to USC. And we've had these conversations in the past guys, but uh, this year it's a little bit different. Even last year, a little bit different because the, the firing and hiring cycle has kind of slid up a little bit because of their early signing day teams willing to move on from coaches a little bit faster. And we're in the thick of the season. So we don't have necessarily these NFL draft conversations, but when coaches change schools, when there's a coaching change anyway, whether it's a hiring or a firing, that's going to impact the NFL draft. Some guys may choose that they want to stay. Some guys may choose that they want to go. So just focusing in on this move of Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC, I want to, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on a, are there some underclassmen in Oklahoma? You feel like, Oh, but maybe now I'm going to make that jump with a new coaching change or B for USC. Are there underclassmen there that could say, Hey, you know, I want to kind of stay and let me see if I can help myself a little bit longer play for Lincoln Riley. And maybe we can compete for a national title uh, next year. Dane, uh, whichever way you want to go here, I'll, I'll come to you first. Well, I think the main guys are you know, probably gone. Nick Benito, he almost came out last year, so I think he's gone regardless. Uh, you know, Drake London from USC. Uh, I, I'm told Chris Steele is going to go pro. I'm told he might probably won't even play this weekend against Cal. Uh, he's gone. Or the corner from USC. Yeah, right. I, I'm not even sure if that's out there yet, but it sounds like he might. He, his season might be over. He might be you know, one foot into the NFL already. Um, a couple of players that I think could be on the, on the bubble, maybe Brian Asamoa, the good linebacker from, from OU, maybe he comes out now. Uh, and then I'm also interested in Eric Gray at running back who transferred in from Tennessee, basically fell out of favor, lost his touches, even though I think he's significantly more talented than those other OU backs. He's going to be an interesting player to keep an eye on here. Does he stay put in OU at OU? Does he transfer again? Uh, he has so much talent. I, I just hope we, he gets put in a situation where we're able to see it. Yeah, and I guess I'll go the other way with the conversation. I'm interested to see what USC's landscape is going to be. Yeah, you know who is kind of excited to stay, who maybe wants to to leave and bail. Jackson Dart, true freshman quarterback, looks like he's kind of a player with really good size and mobility at like six three, two ten. Has flashed some really exciting play. Keaton Slovis is a true junior. Obviously, his season and sophomore year haven't gone since really coming on the scene as a true freshman. Don't forget, they had the number one player in the class last year in Corey Foreman. So these are guys that could be a little bit undetermined with who they want to play for in the future as well. Not to mention, Lincoln's been on the recruiting trail this past season. I mean, they have Relief Brown, who's a five-star committed Oklahoma, a really impressive defensive lineman, and Brownlow Dindy, a five-star committed Oklahoma. Does this mean they follow him over to USC? Do they reopen their recruitings? Do they stay true to their Oklahoma roots? We'll have to see. I think it's going to be really interesting. But at the end of the day, guys, I am excited for the Pac-12 and the West Coast to have more juice, yep. more yeah. recruiting juice, more spotlight, national juice. We need it. And to see, you know, the CJ Strouds and the Bryce Youngs and DJ Ungolays, all West Coast guys get dispersed across the East Coast of college football and the SEC. We need to keep some of them out on the West Coast. I want to see Oregon compete for national championships. I want to see Stanford contending and being a ranked team. I want to see USC battling Alabamas and stuff in the playoff. That's just good for college football, in my opinion. So I want this Pac-12 to step up and compete and be real legitimate contenders on a year-in, year-out basis. I think one big thing to keep in mind, too, with Lincoln Riley going over to Oklahoma, and this is an unknown from our part, from a terminology standpoint in that Lincoln Riley offense, remember uh, – kind of comes from that Mike Leach air raid tree. Graham Harrell, uh, the offensive coordinator there at USC, he's an air raid guy through and through. And so some of that terminology may be the same, and that could help a guy like Keaton Slowis. That might give a little bit more comfort for a Drake London if he, if he wants to stay put, right? And so uh, that, that one is certainly interesting. And then the other big wild card in this news uh, came late on Monday morning, uh, Spencer Rattler, the Oklahoma quarterback, 
uh, a lot of people thought could be the potential number one pick entering the year. Well, he has officially entered the transfer portal. Now, does that mean that he's definitely going to stay in college football as we sit here on the last day of November? I would say no, that's not a that's not a definite. Remember, the same thing happened with former Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson. They had a coaching change uh, late in history. What was the, the 2018 draft, right, guys, uh, a few years ago? He entered the transfer portal and then kind of read the landscape a little bit. Uh, you know, more rumors started circulating about where he could go in that quarterback landscape. Oh, he's got, he can go to the senior ball, help himself. He ended up leaving the transfer portal and going into the NFL. So I think just kind of following that Spencer Rattler uh, news, I think that could be interesting. We'll see if he decides he's going to go somewhere else. Does he go, does he follow Lincoln Riley to USC? Does he go, uh, you know, does he try to jump into the NFL? Just an interesting news to kind of follow there with Spencer Rattler. So just interesting kind of news there with Spencer Rattler. All right. Uh, that said, let's get into our big takeaways here from this week, guys. Uh, a lot to take in from the week that was in college football rivalry weekend uh, in the books. Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, give us your game ball here uh, from this weekend. Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, what, Had to be, right? What, what else do you say? Uh, one of the reasons he came back to Michigan for a senior year, uh, well, and he, he said this, he said, I want another shot at Ohio State. Uh, and this guy played on Saturday, like someone who looked at the calendar every single day and thought about this game. I mean, he was ready. He, he was going, I mean, we, we know he's got a, you know, a revving motor at all times. It was cranked up a notch for this game. He was near unblockable on Saturday. It had three sacks. PFF credited him with 15 pressures. That's the highest number they have ever seen since they started doing this. I think it was 2014. Uh, he did it versus uh, blockers who are all going to be drafted. You talk about Petit Ferrer, uh, Jones at right tackle, Thayer Munford. I mean, if you didn't see him absolutely truck Thayer Munford, check out my Twitter feed. I posted the end zone clip. My goodness, uh, th this is a guy who played out of his mind. Uh, and honestly, in a draft class like this, where you know we're just lacking those top ten guys, those uh, those uh, truly elite prospects at the top, Hutchinson he has put himself in the conversation for the number one overall pick, especially if his hometown Lions end up with that top pick. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see this whole process play out. I, I saw you, say that you, that you, post, you posted the end zone clip of Aiden Hutchinson trucking Thayer Mumford at like eight o'clock on Saturday night. It's a huge flex on your part, having the, uh, the all 22 and posting that, uh, like, I don't know. I don't even know if Ohio state was on the bus, if they gotten back to Columbus yet. Uh, and you're posting film of the game, which is big time. I reported that clip for violence. So I'm yeah. surprised it's still up right now. I was a little <laughs> offended and taken back. I kept me up all night, Saturday night, but let's stay in this game real fast for Ann and Dane, but the other side of the ball got to give hats off hat tip to Hassan Haskins, who I thought put the offense on his back to the tune of 28 carries for 169 and five touchdowns, six runs of 10 or more, running through a lot of arm tackles, great contact balance. He had a really nice game against them back in 2019 as well, where he was just kind of a rotational player out there, got in the end zone as well, nice stiff arm on Pete Werner or some NFL linebacker now. But Hassan Haskins, he, he's pretty much the reason that uh, Zach Charbonnet headed off to UCLA because Haskins was going to be the guy in the senior campaign. He's a guy that was a running back, dabbled switching over to linebacker, went back to running back. Really, really interesting player and a really tough player at 225 pounds or so with good size. So he's a guy that I think his best football is ahead of him. Not a ton of mileage on the tires. And I'm glad he put this type of performance on a national platform against the number two team in the country because Hassan Haskins is a really good running back. So he, and he might be a senior bowl guy. Um, yeah. he, he's a redshirt junior, but he could be there. So, yeah, I agree with you. He's he's one of the top 
15 backs. Uh, if he de- as long as he declares, he'd be one of the top 15 backs in this class. And it's just kind of figuring out, okay, where exactly does he fit? And I have no problem, real fast, just comparing him to like a Jamal Charles type. Wow. Who's a tall, leggy kind of running back, but with a violent type of creative presence to him. And I think he's got a little juice in the open field to kind of be a slasher and a darter or maybe get the edge when he wants to bounce one. Really tough player. And I'm glad he just put up that type of performance. Actually, it was just his birthday a few days a few days ago as well. So he just turned, I think, 22 years old. So happy birthday, Hassan. And I hope to see you down in Mobile maybe with an invite. <laughs> Mr. Jim Nagy, I hope you're listening. Well, Jim, uh, obviously being a Michigan guy, uh, you know, I'm sure he would be happy to extend that invite. Uh, let's go from arguably the best rivalry in all of sports to another one that some people would argue is the best rivalry in all of sports. You just talked about Ohio State, Michigan. Let's go down to the Iron Ball, Alabama and Auburn. Shocking ending to this game. Auburn in control for most of this game. Uh, Alabama marches back and they end up winning in, in overtime. And John Mechie, I mean, what can you say about the, his performance? 13 catches, 150 yards. Jamison Williams leaves the game in the first half and Mechie comes through in a huge, huge way. Does not reach the end zone in regulation, but then comes through with the game winner, an outstanding route against one of the top corners in the country, uh, a little pivot route where he fakes the slant against uh, uh, against Roger McCreary from Auburn and then puts his foot in the ground and breaks back towards the sideline, wide open, just short of the pylon for the, uh, for the score. John Mechie was awesome uh, in this game when Alabama needed him to be. Uh, he was a big reason why they came out on top. McCreary played so well in that game, but Mechie on that final play, uh, when you execute a route like that to perfection, there's just nothing a corner can do. And so, yeah, all the credit to him. As soon as Jamison Williams went out of the game, it okay, Alabama loses one of its big play threats because uh, of a targeting on a, a, a punt return. Uh, you know, it was all, all up to John Mechie to, to really move the ball through the air. He, he responded. Well, don't be stealing my thunder here, Dane. We're going to stay in this game for my one-play takeaway, and I'm cheating with a two-play takeaway. Obviously, Jameson Williams made some highlights and some buzz for the targeting call, but it was on punt coverage. This is a first-round pick receiver out there looking to knock heads off in punt coverage. I was just excited to see him out on special teams, playing with an aggressive mindset. Yeah, can we clean up the face-up you know, tackling and not lowering the head and knocking the guy on the chin? Yeah, we could talk about that. But I just love that he's out there. But, guys, the first punt of the game, after a three and out by Alabama, and eh, maybe a couple plays and, and then out, he was the one that downed a punt at the one-yard line. So he was a guy that showed some really good juice as a punt gunner, beating the jammer down the sideline with that explosive speed and strides. Really exciting special team. And Alabama is one of these teams. We have all these young five stars dying to get on the field. Special teams under Nick Saban is a veteran position. A lot of times you're going to see the leaders and the veteran guys on the roster playing those special teams parts. Look last year. First round pick, Patrick Sertan, special teamer. Devontae Smith, special teamer. Guys that were the who's who of college football do those roles. So it was great to see Jamison Williams out there making some good plays, a couple questionable plays, but he's a special teamer and a great athlete as well as being a great receiver. I love it. Uh, I'm going to stay uh, in the SEC. That Florida, Florida State game, guys, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the run from Damian Pierce, the Gators running back, leading rusher each of the last two seasons. Uh, it was low red zone. They hand the ball off to him, and his helmet pops off mid-run. He lowers his shoulder. Helmet pops off. He's like seven, eight yards from the end zone. He keeps going and lowers his shoulder into contact at the goal line, powers through for a touchdown, and there's a penalty on the play because you're you're not allowed to do that. But that just like speaks to this kid's like mentality as a runner. 
he's got, and he's like all fired up after the play, like uh, just going insane. That's like, whoa, like this guy's got a lot of juice uh, that he's bringing to the field. And it What's was the just circumstance like, there. Is the penalty on him? Yes, you can't you can't keep going if you've got your helmet off. Especially the helmet if your pops helmet off, off, you're just in you surrender have, mode. You got to go down. Correct. You yeah. got to go down. Yeah, and so yeah. you don't uh, see that called very often. No, well, I mean, you usually don't see guys do that very often. And it was, it was insane. Like you just got to go go find the play. It's on Twitter, um, and just a, a ridiculous play uh, from Damian Pierce. I think that speaks to his competitive nature. Yes, the I, uh, officials' reaction to that play was was priceless. The the still image. It, the uh, I, think, I don't know if it's the, the umpire or who it was, but his eyes were just like, oh my, wide-eyed and like he couldn't believe what he was watching. <laughs> he was taking it in before he threw the flag. My brain goes to a couple <laughs> NFC East situations. I think both Brent Selleck and Jason Witten have had some big hits over the middle where they then mustered into the end zone without a helmet on. So uh, if he uh, somehow wants to make his way to the NFC East, I think they'll welcome him. Well, it's basically the Jason Witten rule in the NFL because it was after right. that that big play that they kind of, Cut, or you know, cut down on you able to do that, but yeah, that's uh, it's it's a bummer for him, but makes for a, a good play when you're scouting a, a player like Pierce. I mean, that will absolutely be talked about in the spring in in draft rooms, right? Oh, yeah. That's going to be one that people point to. It's like, hey, this guy, you know, we'll go watch that play, uh, that kind of deal. Uh, Dane, give us your one play takeaway here. Uh, I so saw I'm going to go with Colby Wooden, uh, who was really impressive against Alabama, going back to that Iron Bowl uh, performance. Uh, finished with 11 tackles. That's not easy to do for a defensive tackle. Uh, it really speaks to his motor, his talent. In the second quarter, he had a sack that really that set up a third down, third and long, and later a punt for Alabama. That that, that was kind of the one play that I took away from it. But uh, as a whole, uh, I, I think he just had a really good game, and he's got an interesting NFL decision to make here coming Rich up after the year. Right, right. It, yep. it's a it's a lackluster defensive tackle class, yep. and he's a guy that could really you know give a boost. To, to that group if he decides to come out. So he's going to have an NFL decision to make. He flashed last year. I can't remember who I was watching on that Auburn defense, but he was 6'5", nearly 280, and he's playing defensive end, just ragdolling tight ends. And I had to write his name down. He was only a redshirt freshman at the time. This guy is long. He's tall. He's lean. He's violent. He's got that kind of hybrid skill set where you can play inside, outside. I haven't watched a lot of his 2021 tape. Uh, I kind of forgot about him, but I'm glad you brought him up, Dan. Uh, I, I had heard some buzz on him. It was like five, six weeks ago uh, that he was a guy just to, to watch, if, even if it wasn't for 2022, just for 2023 and down the road. As a, He's eligible this year, but uh, Colby Wooden down at Auburn, not talked about uh, quite enough. So, and yeah, just hey, a, a tip for all you guys out there looking young scouts, go find the SEC all-freshman team every year. Oh, every year. And just yeah. start filing those names into your database for later because he was a guy that was all over that SEC all-freshman team last year. It's funny how they turn out in a few years. Few years, so it's always uh, a leg up on the competition. Well, it's a perfect segue to our down the road freak shows because that's exactly what we typically do with that category, <laughs> right? Is like we're going to take those all all conference performers, uh, especially the SEC. Uh, I'll tell you what, I was watching Jeremiah Gemmel uh, this weekend, the, the North Carolina linebacker we were discussing earlier, and the guy next to him, number I believe he's thirty three. Gemmel wears forty four. I'm looking this kid up, Cedric Gray, six one two twenty five, same build uh, as Gemmel. This kid is flying around the field, and he's the one who stays on the field when they go to dime. They play primarily nickel uh, with two backers. When they go dime, Gemmel comes off the field. Gray stays on, uh, and this guy's got great sideline-to-sideline range. Cedric Gray, 6'1", 225, uh, immediately put his name into my database for uh, for down the road. So uh, that was my game. I, the name I wanted to file away. Uh, Dane, uh, I'll come to you next. Who, who's your down-the-road guy to, uh, to keep in mind here? 
I'm going to go with Will Shipley, uh, running back over at Clemson, who nice. the last the last two weeks has really stood out with his ability to make guys miss. Uh, really productive. He averaged 6.3 yards per carry against Wake Forest. And then this past weekend against South Carolina. South Carolina, they had a little bit of momentum going into that game. Felt like maybe this is the year that they, you know, they finally knock off Clemson and they lost 30 to zero. And Will Shipley was a big part of that Clemson attack. He averaged 6.7 yards per carry on the ground. Uh, he's definitely a name to be uh, keep on the radar for the future. Well, we're going to go out to the Sun Belt where Coastal Carolina Chanticleers are 10 and 2. Great season once again. They're starting to get some really exciting young players on this team. They have a 6'2, 250 pound freshman edge rusher and Josiah Stewart. That is lighting up box scores each week in nine pressures, two and a half sacks this past weekend against Jake Bentley in South Alabama out there. But he's up to 40 pressures on the season, 12 and a half sacks, 15 and a half TFL, three forced fumbles. This guy is an interesting kind of rocked up ball of clay type uh, that plays really stout, really strong, relentless player. Josiah Josiah Stewart, excuse me, Coastal Carolina edge rusher. If you find the Chanticleers on, Watch their edge rusher. I like it. Uh, then they continue. Jeffrey Gunter uh, is a big name for the senior class. Obviously, at, uh, uh, Jackson from last year, Teron Jackson is now with the Eagles. So, continuing to turn out. Jordan, Jordan Strong is a really good corner who announced That's he's going to actually back. head back to school. Uh, so, yep. that's a really good uh, crop. No no question. Uh, Well, let's get into our film room recaps, guys. Uh, Players that we've studied on film over the last week that have uh, caught our eye. Ben, I'll uh, bounce this one right back to you. Who's the guy uh, that you've studied here over the last week? Well, I want to paint a bigger profile picture on one of the Senior Bowl accepted invites we discussed last week, and that's pit corner Damari Mathis, who I think is one of the more intriguing all-around defensive backs in this entire class. At just a shade over 5'10", 205 pounds, has really good size and kind of a thick core build. But he's a really tough player downhill as a force defender, protecting the flats, ragdolling receiver blocks and receiver screens, has the size and physicality, I think, to slide in and maybe play some big nickel because of that physicality in the flats and his willingness to stick his nose in the run. But that Pat Narduzzi quarter scheme, which we all know quarters, it's man-to-man after six, seven yards, but you don't have any help over the top. So there's a lot of situations with no help. You have to survive down the field. And he's got to face, you know, Sam Howell and the fight in Tar Heels, throwing it down the field all the time. And Trevor Lawrence chucking the ball down the field all the time. He survived down the field quite a bit in these isolated situations where he had no safety help. So his ability to turn and run, the savviness to play the ball, being tough downhill as well. It's kind of a unique skill set. Was a really strong year in 2019 opted out last year. And I think that's really where he kind of fell off of radars. He's from Lakeland, Florida, which all intents and purposes, we want our defensive backs from Florida. They just move different. They act different. It just is what it is. We want DBs from Florida. Remind me a little bit of like a Chidobia Uze okay. from Colorado, that kind of tough rocked up corner. But Chidobi played a little bit more all over the place on that Colorado defense. Damari is kind of strictly a corner. So some corners in college that converted to safety in the NFL Maybe like a Jarius Bird out of Oregon, Dwight Lowry, Corey Graham, who played a lot of good football for us with the Eagles and the Baltimore Ravens. Even a Nick Collins coming out of Bethune-Cookman was a corner, but was a thick build, had good ball skills, was a physical player, just struggled turning and running at times, which Damari Mathis is a little stiff-hipped at times, but he's got the speed to kind of close the ground and the savviness to find the ball. So I think he's a tough player, and I really think he can play a variety of positions out there. And no secret that these Narduzzi defensive backs are NFL ready, whether it's our own Avante Maddox or Dane Jackson out there. 
or even way back to Darrell Rivas coming out of Pitt. I know he wasn't a Narduzzi guy, but Pitt produces a lot of good pros. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Aaron Donald can obviously go through the list up and down, but uh, Damari Mathis, really good player on that Pitt defense. Mathis is a guy I, I actually was talking to uh, to a scout last week. He said that he had a, he personally had a third round grade on him um, and thought he was someone that could really blow up the combine uh, as a guy to, to, to watch here moving forward. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be like an all world tester. I don't know if he's like a loose type of, you know, high speed explosive athlete. I think he wins by being tough. Will beat you up on releases, kind of lean on you in the route. It's going to be really physical and balanced at the catch point. I just don't know if I see an explosive player that's going to you know, jump out the gym or run in the four threes or even four fours for that matter. So I'm um, interested to see kind of how he handles some things down in Mobile and maybe uh, kind of dabbles with some of that positional flexibility down in Mobile. I mean, we saw a Fatu Melifanu, tall, long corner, yep. defending tight ends down in Mobile. And now he's playing some sub linebacker for the Lions. I think Mobile is a great launching pad to kind of explore some ability. All right, Dana, let's come to you. Who, who's your guy next? I was way too low on Devin Lloyd. Uh, th- <laughs> this guy, he he is so good. I mean, and watching him, and it's not like I didn't think he was good. He was he was like in the 30s on my top 50 board. Um, but watching him the last four weeks, the last four games, uh, his performance against Stanford was one of the best linebacker tapes I've seen the last few years. Uh, watching him against Oregon, watching him against Colorado. I mean, this guy is so explosive. He's so versatile with what he does. You watch the Cowboys and Michael Parsons and what he's doing. I don't think that Lloyd's quite on that level. I mean, Michael Parsons is just one of the rarest talents we've seen. Lloyd's a little different, but in terms of the versatility, in terms of how he can impact a game, he has that ability because he can rush the passer. He can drop in coverage. He can beat blockers to the spot and blow up the run game. Uh, there's just so much you can do with him. And uh, I mean, he is one of the top... 15 players in this, in this, uh, in this draft, maybe wow. even higher than that. I mean, he, he is a really, really good player who I, I, I was not as high on beginning of the year, watching him against USC, watching him against Washington state. Saw a good player, but you know, missing tackles here and there and this, but watching him the last month, I, I, I'm sold. I mean, he is one of the best defensive players in this draft. You know, three points really fast here. He's a guy that I think is starting to embody some Fred Warner the NFL. I think they're almost spitting images, height, weight, speed, even the way their body kind of hangs, their high cut with long legs can run and trigger really well. Number two, he played some defensive end two weeks ago against Oregon. You guys see the spin move against the left yep. tackle that flushed the quarterback yep. out. That was one I like threw the notebook at the wall. I was like, come on, he shouldn't be able to do that as well. He just checks all these boxes. The third thing, watched a lot of his 2020 tape. I tweeted about him in the spring saying I thought he had some eye violations at times. I had some issues converting from run to pass. That was my getting thing. Back, getting back in some play action windows. Long story short, I criticized him a little bit on Twitter. He private messaged me and said, I'd love to discuss, you know, some of the things I need to improve on for next year. Wasn't a hostile conversation. It was a, I want to be better. What are you seeing that I can be better? And we had a good little back and forth where I showed him some clips and he kind of explained his side of the story. Long story short, great attitude on this kid that he saw a little bit of criticism and didn't, you know, take it and turn it into a chip on his shoulder. It said, what are you seeing? Where can I be better? And everybody wants that type of player in your locker room. And you want to coach that type of kid. Mm, that's a good story. Uh, about a guy that's heading down to the senior bowl. We talked about him uh, last week. He will be in mobile. Uh, we talked about the Barry Mathis, Ben, uh, you broke him down. He's heading down to mobile. I'll wrap things up here with a guy that I think will end up being in Mobile, and that's Alabama defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis, 6'4", 
312 pounds. I've been watching this kid since his freshman year because uh, he was kind of in that rotation uh, with that Alabama Crimson Tide. And Ben, as you mentioned, uh, you find that SEC all-freshman team and you're going to find guys <laughs> we're talking about down the road. Mathis was one of those guys. He was SEC all-freshman back in 2018. And what stood out to me is was as a backup, He'd come on and play a million miles an hour. He was always active, always chasing the football. Uh, play, you know, play like his hair was on fire every single play. So, you know, as you start to get more reps, you think like, all right, if you're a starter now, instead of playing ten snaps a game, you're playing forty. Uh, what is that? Is that effort going to wane? No. Mathis is the same exact guy that he was when you watched him back in 2018. He's so stout. He's really strong on contact. He uses his hands really well, both run game and pass game. Uh, I really like everything this kid brings to the table. Is he an ideal threat on third down? No, probably not. He's not a guy that you're necessarily always going to talk about uh, in terms of being able to get after the quarterback and sub package downs. But uh, Mathis is a player that I really think has that ability to transition well to the NFL. Uh, whether he could be a starter that comes off the field on third down. Uh, I think he's got some position and scheme versatility, can line up inside and outside. So uh, Mathis is a guy that I'm really, really high on. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap this uh, segment up by saying, before we get to On the Clock, the CMAC, uh, let's just get a, give people a little bit of a refresher on where we're at with On the Clock. Right now, as we enter this competition, I've got four wins. Dane's got four wins. Ben's got three. So it's very, very tight. CMAC does not know the score. We're going to now go in uh, and get talk a little red zone here in On the Clock. On the Clock. All right, let's get down to business here with On the Clock as we welcome in Chris McPherson. First time in a couple of weeks. C-Mac, uh, I don't want to update you on the score. I don't want to sway you one way or the other. I will just say that it's tight across the board. Uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's get into this topic. Best draft eligible red zone weapon. So it's a very specific area of the field, but leaving it open in terms of position and impact. Oh, don't, don't, you know, don't. Paint the picture here. Don't taint the possible votes here. But uh, Ben, you get to kick things off here. It's been a jam-packed episode. It's great to be back. It's the uh, pinnacle of the season as we're getting closer and closer to the draft process itself here. So, uh, Ben, let's get rolling. What you got for us? Best draft-eligible red zone weapon. Well, I think this is an easy one for me because I'm just going to point to the most productive and most prolific red zone weapon over the last two seasons and that's tight end Cole Turner out with the Nevada Wolfpack. And you may be thinking, Cole Turner, who is that? Well, he's a converted receiver, showed up to campus at 6'6", 210, now up to 6'6", 240. And is this pass-catching, nightmare-down-the-seam type of red zone weapon for Carson Strong and those Nevada Wolfpack out there? Leads college football in red zone touchdowns the last two seasons with 16, three more than our own Devonta Smith, but his obviously Heisman campaign was pretty insane that he's even in this conversation. Leads in red zone contested catches and only has one drop with all his red zone targets over the last two seasons. Has great hands, can make adjustments, excellent contact balance, in the catch point situation with really good balance in his lower half and can kind of get bumped around, but keep his concentration. You see that basketball background where he was a first team, all area and basketball was kind of a uh, stretch wing player with a lot of length. He could shoot, but he was a good rebounder as well. So the balance, the hands, the production, the size at a legitimate six, six, he's not going to come in at six, four and change a legitimate six, six with range with hands and C-Mac. His sports hero is Calvin Johnson. I mean, is there a better above-the-rim catch-point player that embody a Cole Turner than his sportier and Calvin Johnson? Cole Turner, tight end in Nevada, may not be on everyone's you know first-round mock drafts, but he's the best red zone weapon in the country. 
Well, certainly helping out the quarterback there in Nevada. With all that background information, I thought you were ordained there for the second there. So going deep there. Uh, great opening salvo. So Cole Turner, certainly on the radar. Love the production. Love the fact he's done it over a couple of years. So great starting point. Fran, who you got for us at number two? So I will go to the wide receiver position, and I'm going to go to another one of the top pass targets for one of the top quarterbacks in this draft. Cole Turner catching passes from Carson Strong out of Nevada. Let's go to Desmond Ritter and his favorite weapon in the passing game, and Alec Pierce, who is going to the Senior Bowl, 6'3", 213 pounds. He's got outstanding size, C-Mac. When this guy first got to campus, they had him at linebacker just because of that physicality. They moved him over to receiver. He continues to fill out that frame. And this guy is not just competitive. He's an outstanding blocker. He's great after the catch. But he is a freak show athlete. He was on the freak list uh, this summer with Bruce Feldman. Uh, and some of the numbers that have come out from this kid are outrageous. He jumps out of the gym, C-Mac. 40-inch vertical jump. So you talk about who's a guy that can go up and win at the catch point, Alec Pierce at his size, 6'3", 213. He was a great volleyball player. His mom was an, uh, was an outstanding volleyball player uh, at Northwestern. You need th- those jumping ability, that, that jumping ability in that sport. And I think when you look at Pierce with his size, his physicality, that shows up in a number of ways, but especially down in the red zone where C-Mac this year, no one has caught more red zone touchdowns than Alec Pierce. So not only does he have the skill set, but he also has the production. He's got the sizzle and the stake to back up uh, what I'm talking about here in terms of him being the best red zone weapon in this class. Alec Pierce going to the senior bowl, not really talked about all that often, but he is a big play threat, 17.6 yards per catch entering the season. But when you get down inside the red area, he also has that ability to be a weapon for his offense. Love the versatility there, especially when I think back to Cincinnati players who started as a linebacker converted. I think of uh, Eagles own Jason Kelsey once upon a time, many moons ago. So I Cole, Connor Barwin, Brent Selleck, the, the Cincinnati program and the Eagles. Yeah, Cincinnati connection. Trent Cole. Can't forget the hunter right there. So uh, last but not least, Dane, bring up the caboose. Who do you got for us? Uh, I'm, I'm waiting for a hammer here. I'm going with Drake London, uh, who was basically the USC offense uh, before he fractured his ankle uh, Halloween weekend. But before the injury, he led the country in several receiving categories, including targets. He hasn't played in a month, and he still ranks 15th in college football on targets, which is just crazy. Uh, But he's averaging 15 targets per game when he was on the field, and nobody could stop him. And uh, they knew where the ball was going. He was that offense. Uh, And I think that's why London is the answer here, because even when he's covered, he's open. He's a large-framed athlete, 6'5", makes terrific adjustments on the football, plays physical through contact. And, you know, I know it's kind of cliche to talk about uh, playing above the rim. And uh, but, you know, it's, it's a very fitting way to describe London because he played for USC's basketball team. You see those skills translate to the field. High pointing with timing. He can finish. He's competitive, frequent, uh, frequently making plays over defensive backs. Of his seven touchdowns this year, five came in the red zone. And according to PFF, London has the highest success percentage on contested catches, 67.9%. Uh, and that's so 28 contested targets, 19 catches. That's just an outstanding rate. So you consider the size, the basketball background, the proven ability to play through contact and finish contested catches. Give me London in the red zone because he's going to win those one-on-one matchups. What is the size for London? 6'5", 2'12", 2'13". Beautiful. So three outstanding prospects and all draft eligible. Ben, are we going to see Cole Turner at any of the all-star games? 
Um, I believe he's a senior bowl acceptance, if I'm not mistaken. I don't okay. have the full list in front of me. Fran Dane, can you? He is. He is. Yeah, he's yeah, going right. to Mobile. Okay. Yep. Okay. They're, they're just helping your cause here, Ben. Jeez. So, obviously, we'll get to see him at the All-Star Games. It'll be exciting to see. All, again, size great on all these guys. Productive. All tough. Uh, really, really tough here to go through. I, I think Ben just did a great job of selling it early. You got, again, 6'6", six, six, you know, outstanding size there. You know, the Megatron comparison, you know, has the production over multiple years, which is huge. Obviously playing with an NFL caliber quarterback. Uh, I'm going to give the vote this week to Ben. So Ben, you're going to get the vote here. Again, I think all three guys, Pierce, I love the toughness as he played linebacker. Drake, London was outstanding and productive. And anytime you throw in the PFF metrics with the contested catch rate, you know, that's why the, I wanted to follow up on the size because I was waiting for you to tell me, oh, he's all his production, but he's like 5'10 or something like that. But still, uh, all across the board, you know, also plays basketball. But I love the multi-sport versatility for all three of these guys. So all great cases. And I'd love to see how this draft process plays out here. Uh, down the line here, but I'll, I'll take Cole Turner, the tight end from Nevada. Ben, you get the vote this week. So I appreciate that. It's not all about me though, C-Mac. It's just the right decision here. It's the right <laughs> choice, whether it was mine or not. You know, you just have to give it up to Cole Turner. Just so happened to use my pick. That's the right decision. Well done, C-Mac. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. All right, time to wrap the show up with our draft mailbag. And as always, the best way to throw us your support here on the show is to go on to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, we will always answer it. I wanted to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Do send it. Left a five-star review saying, Fran, great show as always. You have mentioned before how Patrick Mahomes has forced you to rethink college quarterbacks vis-a-vis off-schedule throws. And my question is, how Tom Brady has made you rethink your ratings. Is he just a unicorn, or do you rate quarterbacks differently based on his success? Would a quarterback with Brady's tools coming out of college still last until the sixth round of the draft? Anyway, thanks for all of your work. And do send it. It's a good question, and I guess I maybe I haven't done a good job of explaining my thought process when it comes to the quarterback position uh, in the past. I think when you look at overall quarterback play, you need to be able to win from the pocket. That is never going to change. You are going to need to be able to win from the pocket. You need to be an accurate passer. You need to be able to throw with timing and anticipation. You have got to be able to get there at some point. Now, at the end of the day, the reason why that's so important is that defenses are too good. They are too fast. They are too complicated. They are going to beat you on a handful of snaps at least every single game. So if you have got to have answers for that as a quarterback. Traditionally, what that has meant is that you need to be able to do that with your mind and with your arm. You have to have those answers mentally. That said, you're seeing more and more quarterbacks be able to come into the NFL, and maybe you're not there mentally yet, but if you've got that ability to play outside of structure, so hey, you don't have the ability to win with your arm and with your mind inside of structure yet, but you can create. You can get outside the pocket and be able to make plays. Well, now that can bide you time until you get to that point. The goal is always to get you to look like Tom Brady. Now, the the whole point is you're not going to get there in year one, in year two, in year three, in year four. We've seen the the guys that are considered the best in the league. Patrick Mahomes is going through some ups and downs this season, right? Josh Allen has gone through some ups and downs. Lamar Jackson has gone through some ups and downs. That doesn't mean they're not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. That just means that young quarterbacks, if you don't have that ability to always be able to win from the pocket, there are going to be some some uh, there's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster, right? And so I think when you're looking at young quarterbacks coming into the league, if you don't have that ability, if you don't have that superhuman uh, that that trait to be able to create, 
Well, now the offense has to be able to answer some of that for you. And we're seeing that up in New England, right? Why is Mac Jones performing at such a high level for the Patriots? Well, they don't put a lot on him from a physical standpoint. Hey, you have to be able to create on this play. We're going to create everything off the run game and play action, formation variation, and you just have to go out and execute a handful of throws each and every game. And we're going to get you to that point where now you have all the answers. Because Mac Jones doesn't have all the answers either right now. But I think it's a really interesting discussion. Honestly, it requires a little bit more nuance than, uh, than what I'm talking about here in this short segment. But uh, to clarify my previous statement, when I talked about Patrick Mahomes, he played so far outside of structure at Texas Tech. He was the, the, the wild stallion that was like, man, you watch him. And all the arm talent in the world, then not just the arm strength, but consistent accuracy. But he was just such a wild card. He never played from the pocket. Everything was, I'm going to run around and create, and I'm going to make this throw off this angle, and I'm going to run to my left, and I'm going to run to my right, and nothing is going to be as scripted. When I watched that, it was very hard to project to say, like, yeah, like this is going to work in the NFL. At times, that has been really, really good. Most of the time, that's been really, really good. That has also been a little bit of his downfall this season when they haven't had success, right? So to me, when I look at it, uh, his accuracy, consistent accuracy, that's what sets uh, Patrick Mahomes apart. Is Yeah, like maybe he's not always playing within structure, but when he breaks the pocket, his ball is always on the money. It is where it needs to be more often than not. He makes throws that 99.999% of quarterbacks cannot make. And so uh, that, to me, was the big standout ability with Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't necessarily that uh, he always made plays outside of structure and that's what stuck. It was more that when he made those plays outside of structure, the accuracy was always there. It was always consistent. And so that was my big learning point uh, from Patrick Mahomes and uh, projecting him from college to the NFL. So do send it. It was a great question. It's a great topic, and it's something that I try and talk about all the time here on this show or over on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, especially in the offseason when we can take kind of more uh, big-picture macro looks at the league and at scheme and at player development. So uh, keep, in t- keep uh, stay tuned here. We'll continue to have these quarterback discussions moving forward here on this show. Good stuff this week from Ben Fennell, from Dane Brugler, from Chris McPherson, of course, from Ian Cunningham as well, uh, from the Eagle Scouting Department. Stay tuned next week. Uh, we'll be back with another one uh, of those segments here, Scout Stories. We only have a few of them left. So stay tuned for that next week here on the show. But we'll be back later this week. Ross Tucker, Ben Fennel will be breaking down a big mock draft. We're going to have a couple other guests as well. Eric Calco from the Shrine Bowl. Stay tuned for that later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.